Our guest this episode is originally from Indiana, and he currently lives in Santa Rosa, California. He is a sound engineer, audio tech, archivist, singer-songwriter, and recording artist. He's performed throughout Europe, where he lived for 10 years, gigged as an audio tech since the 90s, worked as an archivist at George Lucas's Skywalker Ranch, and worked many festivals such as Bottle Rock. He's currently semi-retired, enjoying occasional gigs, and composing and recording new music. We are so pleased to welcome our laid-back and humble guest, Reed Maidenberg. Welcome to Meaningful Musical Conversations, where words are music, hearts are melodies, and harmony is our vision. I'm Jill Minier. And I'm Daniel Townsend. Thank you all so much for being here today on this lovely, well, not quite so lovely, almost 100 degree weather. Uh, <laughs> to my right, we have Reed. How's it going today? Reed? Great. Great. Thanks nice to be out. here. Absolutely. So Reed, um, Reed Maidenberg, um, I met you a while ago at my husband's office, dental office. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we just kind of had a nice connection and we've talked numerous times. I met you there and... Um, I think subbing for John's receptionist once, and <laughs> then right. we would, whenever you would come in and I happened to be around, we would have these lovely conversations, and mm -hmm. so we are thrilled to have you here on our Meaningful Musical Conversations. Awesome. So, Glad to you. be here. So let's tell our listeners a little bit about you, that you're <clears throat> a recording engineer. Yes. And you're a singer, songwriter, musician, recording artist, mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure there's a lot more. Audio too. tech, an yeah, audio tech, absolutely. archivist, as archivist. Well. Okay, yeah. there's so much um, that I am excited to hear about and to share with our listeners. Um, let's start first, though, just hearing maybe where you're from. I'm from Marion, Indiana. Mm -hmm. I grew up uh, and left there after the end of high school. And uh, that was kind of it for my living in Indiana. I was pointed outward from there. So okay. that's, I'm from the Midwest, mm -hmm. small town Midwest, Neat. but a uh, pretty nice place to be from, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. What were your parents, uh, were they big music people as well when you were growing up? My dad, not so much, but my mother, yes. My mother was very much involved in, in artistic pursuits all of her life. And she had a pretty good record collection. <laughs> and uh, we were always listening to, there was always music going on in the house, it seems. Mm. I was amazed later on in, in life when I started to really start to appreciate Frank Sinatra that I knew all these songs. <laughs> I knew the lyrics. I knew, you know, I could sing along. And I hadn't heard many of them for probably quite a few years, but then I started listening again. Oh, oh yeah, I know. I know what comes next in the song. And she played a lot of that. She had Brazilian jazz going. She had, she liked Ama Jamal. She loved Ama Jamal. Still touring. Yes, he is. In fact, he was just at SF Jazz. I was there the same day he was there. Except I was um, there to see Veronica Swift. If I don't know if you've heard of her yet, but no, I haven't. Oh my God. But mm. yeah, Ama Jamal. I know. Yeah, Ama Jamal. Yeah. So uh, she had a lot of music playing around the house. She loved to sing. She didn't have a great voice. She had a piano. Mm -hmm. which my sister uh, took lessons on. I never played the piano much, I'm sorry that to say. I took up the guitar 
because I was more enamored with uh, the folk scene in yes. those days. Yes. And the Kingston Trio. I love oh the my, Kingston Trio. I remember the Kingston Yes, I love the Kingston Trio. Oh, my gosh. They wow. were great. They were really a good, you know, it was smooth. It wasn't the kind of rough, folky sound. Mm -hmm. But they had a tremendous repertoire, mm -hmm. and they popularized folk music. I mean, they had a number one hit in 1958, Tom Dooley. <laughs> that was the number one hit in the country, the number That's one record. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Boy. Well, you know, I, I have to say that I'm thinking about this story now that you bring up um, folk music, thinking about the story that you sent me, actually, mm -hmm. uh, about Bob Dylan. Mm -hmm. Do you want to tell our listeners just a little... Briefly. Briefly. <laughs> Briefly. <laughs> uh, well, this was in 1968. I was uh, finishing up my sophomore year. Actually, I had, in my beginning of my sophomore year, I had uh, experimented with drugs. So is this too much to disclose to the public? I was wondering if that was involved, actually, as I read I this. I mean, it's 1968, Ann Arbor, Michigan. You might conclude that somebody who's uh, a creative minded person would come into contact with LSD and things mm -hmm. like that. So uh, I think what happened was my mind was opened and what was going on in the culture at that time was really uh, not appealing to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, talking about the Vietnam War, Richard Nixon, mm -hmm. and uh, even LBJ because I wasn't really happy with what direction he was taking the country in, in re relation to the war in Vietnam. And um, school seemed irrelevant to me at that time. Although I was risking having to go to the, you know, being drafted. Mm -hmm. um, however, at that point in my life, I wasn't going to not do what I wanted to do or follow my own inner vision mm -hmm. because of that, a fear of that. So during, in the second quarter of uh, my sophomore year, I withdrew from the school and I continued to live in Ann Arbor and I was listening to tons of music at that time, of course, uh, the mothers of invention, uh, Arthur Lee and Love, Bob Dylan, of course, and um, Highway 61 had been released and uh, that was an album that meant a lot to me, like a Rolling Stone, all the other songs on there. I just had this momentarily, momentary flash with these friends of mine that we were hanging out with. Could we go meet Bob Dylan and tell him thank you? Just, just say thank you. Simple. Something simple. <laughs> so without knowing any more than that, other than we had read in Rolling Stone magazine that he was in Woodstock at that time recuperating from the motorcycle accident mm -hmm. that he'd had. We drove overnight from Ann Arbor and late November and got, made our way through a snowstorm blowing in off of the, uh, the lake, off of Lake Erie in Cleveland, mm -hmm. almost went off the road. Lots of vehicles were all crashed on the side of the road. We got through that. Drove all night long to Woodstock, landed in Woodstock around uh, six in the morning, went to a little morning cafe where there were hunters and people in outdoor gear and stuff, 
and started making inquiries. And Bob Dylan, you know, do you know Bob Dylan? We came to look for Bob Dylan. And most of them were just like sarcastic, mm-hmm. making fun of us. They were telling us outlandish stories about how you'll never find him. He's got German shepherds guarding his property and bodyguards who will fend you off. And mm-hmm. So they weren't very helpful. Mm-hmm. We left the cafe and a, we, a man followed us and he came out. He said, Dylan lives up on Birdcliff, Old Birdcliff Road. That's all he would tell us. And he told us which way to go. And to not draw the story out too long, because I have written it all out, um, we did eventually get to his house. We found his house with some help. Mm-hmm. And we got there. It was just very early morning. The sun was just coming up and warming things up. And uh, Dylan was not home at the time, according to his housekeeper, mm-hmm. who, we, uh, who answered the door. And there were four of us. And we had brought records, books, artwork, and um, you know maybe one or two other things as presents for his children because we knew he had children. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I brought a Popeye record, songs of Popeye. It was red vinyl, translucent, you know, see-through red vinyl. I thought it was very cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, "Mr. Dylan will be back. He's in New York. He'll be back tonight." So. We went down into Woodstock and rented a motel room. And then we went back that night and knocked on the door. It was around 7 o'clock. We slept all day. (laughs) Went back that night. It was already dark. Went down to the front door. There were no lights on. There were two people standing outside in the dark smoking cigarettes and talking with British accents. And uh, we kind of made small talk with them and went... The door opened to let them in. There was a woman there, and we said, we're the people from Ann Arbor who came this morning. And they said, oh, yes, hold on one second. And then a few minutes later, a head peeks out from a window above, and it was Dylan's wife, Sarah. And she goes, oh, thank you for the gifts. Bob will be out in a few minutes. (laughs) And so Bob came out wearing one of these, like, Russian fur hats. Mm in a leather jacket, and we talked for 15 minutes or so. And, uh, you know, it was just small talk. He said, do you, any of you write music or play the guitar? And, and my friend Brian was very quick to volunteer. Oh, Reed does. Reed's right. He brought his guitar. <laughs> Maybe we'll jam. Maybe we'll play Mr. Tambourine Man together. Well, that didn't happen. There was a house full of people and a big party going on. But that was, you know, we met Dylan. That is a sweet story. Yeah. And then, of course, later on, I heard that Dylan was uh, kind of pissed off that so many people had been coming and getting on, you know, coming to his house, climbing on his roof, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which so, is probably why the people in the town were trying to protect him. Maybe so. Yeah. yeah. Wow. But we were, you know, we didn't know that at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know that that would have dissuaded us because... <laughs> We weren't there to bother him. We were there just to say thank you. Yes, that's a beautiful Just to express story. our gratitude for, for what he did. Yes, that's a beautiful And story. I don't know if I even actually said thank you, but I, I, I think I might have said, you know, we're big fans. We love what mm-hmm. you do. I'm grateful for it. Yeah. And we made small talk. What are you going to do over Christmas? And mm-hmm. Well, he's going to go down to Kentucky. Fred Neal or Tim Harden or 
somebody like that had a cabin there and they were going to play some music. I don't know if that was true or BS. I mean, it's Dylan. Mm -hmm. You know, he was known to spin crazy stories. Right. But uh, I've been listening recently to Robbie Robertson's autobiography. Oh. It's very good. Very good. But he talks about that period of time (laughs) when Dylan was complaining about people coming to the house. Mm -hmm. But also mentioned was Tim Harden, Fred Neal, Tim Buckley. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, folks that we actually were talking about with him on the porch that night. Sweet. Well, the thing that stands out in that story is, is um, how much he wanted to just say thank you and how you were actually there to give him, you know, gifts and even thinking of his children and, yeah. you know, the power of the heart behind that as opposed to, um, you know, wanting something from the artist. We didn't even get an autograph. Mm-hmm. I didn't think to even ask for an autograph or anything. We we yeah. just came to connect and say give thank something you. back mm-hmm. for what That's we really felt sweet. we'd been given. And I don't know any artist or really anybody that um, tires of hearing someone say thank you. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. It's cool. That Thanks you for sharing that. You weren't afraid to keep looking too after having all the people in the town. We kept looking. <laughs> yeah, we could have easily been dissuaded. Totally, yeah. And so, one, uh, yes, are ahead. you still that persistent? How does that persistence and uh, endurement, I don't know if that's a word, but... <laughs> well, that was <laughs> youthful, you know, ideolo- ideology that mm-hmm. drove us and that kind of innocent, um, I, you know, I don't mm-hmm. know if I would do the same thing right. now. Yeah. Given I... I I, I perceive situations like that as much more nuanced now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can sure. easily project myself into the other person's yeah. shoes. Yeah, yeah I point, think for, point. I certainly know for myself that that has definitely come with, with some years behind me. But um, when I do, when I, at work, when I'm at work yes. um, and I'm working with celebrities, I will absolutely go up and say thank you. Mm. And I appreciate what you do. And yeah, yeah so if yes. I have the opportunity, I, I do that, mm-hmm. and it's always, it's almost always, returned with uh, very positive energy. Nice. So let's hear some yeah. um, about you know your work. Uh, you're a sound engineer, and an, you yeah. call yourself an audio tech, and mm-hmm. um, and you, that, you know that's what you artists have to do to make money. You know mm-hmm. they have to find a day job, or whatever. Yes. <laughs> and this turned out to be a. a 27-year day job. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because because uh, you're also a recording artist and self-published actually back in the 80s, and we're going to hear mm-hmm. about that later. Okay. Um, but for now, let's. Um, I'd love to hear how you actually ended up getting involved with um, recording, or actually first, just to, to let our listeners know specifically what it is that you do and you know the kinds of venues that you're working at and the situation. Well, I was... Uh, very fortunate. After I did my first album, which was called Poppies, it's on Spotify and Amazon Music. Yes. Just making a little plug. <laughs> and YouTube. And it's really sweet. And YouTube. Yes, it's on YouTube too. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, before I self-published it on Spotify, I, I, put a, um, I put a video file of the entire, both of my albums on YouTube nice. with uh, psychedelic. I saw that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, psychedelic... Uh, light show, uh, sync to the music, supposed to be anyway. But um, at that time, I had gone to, I'd gone back to Sonoma State and I was taking electronic music classes. In the 80s, I became very enamored with space music and 
music from the hearts of space mm-hmm. and, and all that ele- cool, spacey, electronic music. I love yeah. that. I've had a very, uh, delved very deeply into meditation and mindfulness over the years. So that music worked for me in that sense. And uh, I also got into other crazy stuff like Joe Frank, mm-hmm. work in, Joe Frank, work in progress. Okay. Yeah, a really, really great audio storyteller Oh, hmm. based out of L.A. and Chicago. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I would say just at a quick aside, going back to my roots, I loved radio growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I, would, I had a big radio next to my bed in my bedroom with nice sounding radio, AM and FM, but mainly a, stuff was going on was AM radio in those days. Right. And I would listen to the, there was a guy in Marion, Indiana, who played guitar in the early morning hours. He played like a Gretsch electric guitar and finger style, jazzy. He was very good. His name was George Arthur. And then in between songs, he would read the hog reports and the (laughs) livestock news and stuff like that. (laughs) And then I would also, you know, late at night, I would dial in WSM. In Nashville, I would sometimes pick up New Orleans. I could pick up the X out of Mexico. I I would listen to uh, WLW. I think that was New Orleans. But I could pick up New York, Boston, Clear Channel AM radios. Mm -hmm. It bounces off the stratosphere. Yeah. So at night, these 50,000-watt channels can be picked up many hundreds of miles from their source. So that was that influenced me quite a bit, and um, I, I loved audio. I loved the recording. I had tape recorders early on, and I would do my own goofy little uh, voice acting and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Practice my bar mitzvah speech into my into the tape recorder. <laughs> Recorded my mother trying to sing. So I had an early interest in in all those kinds of things, mm-hmm. and. I also played, started playing guitar at the age of 12. And I, even though I tried to take lessons, it, that, that didn't take so well. I kind of went away from it for about six or eight months and then came back to it and started learning. I got, I got play along with the Kingston Trio record. So I started with that, learning that, learning the songs, finger picking a little bit. And uh, that was the early influences of audio and, mm-hmm. and music for me. I started um, looking for jobs in sound and recording because I took some recording engineering classes at Sonoma State. And how old were you at this time? Well, I was well into my 30s. Okay, when you yeah. went back to school. Yeah. Because you had dropped out. You'd gone to two years. And I dropped, dropped out, out and I, went, I had a very long extended odyssey Okay. in my 20s. Yeah. Uh, what did you, yeah, that look on your face right once, there. Once I, uh, <laughs> once I resolved the issue with the, uh, with the draft, uh. which I got out on a psychological basis okay. because it, it was clear to two different psychiatrists that I was not going to submit to an author, authoritarian system, mm-hmm. of, uh, which the Army was certainly authoritarian. And also participating in, in a war in any way that I did not believe in. I yeah. felt extremely passionately against. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And I had said that I would, if I was drafted, I would leave the country. You know, mm -hmm. I'd be. Yeah. I wouldn't serve, even as a conscientious objector, which means you have to serve in a support role. I, I didn't want to do that. I mean, I have a more nuanced view of it now, mm -hmm. looking back, because so many of my friends from high school, that thing, that's what you do. Mm -hmm. You serve your country. Mm -hmm. You do your duty to your country. And I can relate to that. I understand that. Mm -hmm. But where I was at at that time, that was not what I was going to do. Yeah. So uh, I, I took off to Europe. Mm -hmm. Actually, I, took off, I came out to Berkeley when I was 19 years old. Okay. I drove my 65 Ford Mustang out to Berkeley. <laughs> and uh, I found a place to live, you know, a room in a house, and just started just checking out the Berkeley scene and San mm -hmm. Francisco scene. Went to the Fillmore West many times. So went to clubs in Berkeley, met other musicians, mm -hmm. uh, moved into a house with other musicians and... These, these were like really seriously good players from Lubbock, Texas. So you were in Berkeley and then, yeah. and um, then you and went then to Europe and... My grandmother, of blessed memory, passed away during the uh, spring of that year and she left each of her grandchildren $5,000. And I used that money to buy tickets for me and my buddy from Ann Arbor who had dropped out and gone with me also to meet Dylan who was very supportive of art, the arts. He was a writer himself. We were both uh, in love with Henry Miller, the writer mm -hmm. Henry Miller. Yeah. And at that time, we had talked about going to Paris. For some reason, we wanted to go and look at all of the places where Henry Miller mm. had lived. Mm -hmm. So we went to Paris. Mm -hmm. You know, it was cheap. I took my guitar with me, we shared a duffel bag, and uh, I had one pair of shoes, <laughs> a couple of pairs of pants, you know, a hat, a long, crazy trench coat type of jacket, and uh, went over to Paris and found our way, and eventually uh, step led to step led to step. We went to Rome. I was playing music in Rome. I got a gig uh, accompanying a young woman, black woman from Harlem who was singing blues type of stuff. She needed an accompanist. Mm -hmm. So we played in a folk club there and uh, I was the guitar player. And nice. while we were there, I met a British guy who interests every, who was playing on the streets. We played together. He turned me on to another person who was looking for musicians for his... Uh, club that he was opening in Cortona in, in Tuscany. So we spent the whole, turned out we spent the whole summer in Tuscany playing six nights a week in a little club cool. in Cortona. Oh my goodness. And did yeah. you actually make any money doing that? No. Oh. No, yeah. No, room and board. Right. Okay. Well, that's Room that's, and board that's in something. Tuscany. That's, yeah, that's something. <laughs> you know, I mean, because you got to live, right? And, and uh, the reason he opened the club in Tuscany was that uh, we had, he, uh, American art students from the University of Georgia mm -hmm. would go and study a summer program in Cortona, which was an art center at the time. So 
lots of yeah and just I'm just people. curious how did you how did you actually support yourself financially while you were in Europe because it sounds like you were there for maybe like 10 years or something I had the money from my grandmother oh the five thousand dollars still that went wow. a long way well it was cost sixty five dollars a month for our room in the pension two okay. two beds yeah one room with a sink you know things were different then yeah. sixty five bucks okay. a month. And then we, we got to Rome, we, uh, we got a share rental, uh, not a share rental, but we, we rented a room in a man's house, man and his wife. We had two bedrooms. Brian had one, I had the other one. That was also very cheap. Yeah. So we were there from April until June, and then in June we went to Tuscany. Mm-hmm. That's when we met uh, Eduardo and, and Beatrice, who were running the place. So cool. Eduardo was also a musician. He was quite good himself. Right. So... Gee, thank you for kind of that update. Fun stories. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Who doesn't um, want to play guitar in Tuscany and <laughs> just I know. hang out? And, and Bob, my, my friend Bob O'Toole, who was also a very good guitar player from England, wiry guy, kind of high-strung, <laughs> knew a lot of you know, the British blues stuff. So mm. he taught me things. He knew a lot of Beatles things. I taught him Dylan and... And we, we performed a lot up there, and then we went to Florence. And we did street gigs out in, in Florence. Mm-hmm. Neat. So how did you end up um, working for all of these festivals? Because you've worked at Bottle Rock, and what other festivals yeah, uh, have you worked as a sound engineer? The Odyssey went on for a while. We don't have to go into what happened. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I went into a very uh, a phase of deep inner reflection, spiritual quest. Mm. And I met people, spent a lot of time with them, involved trips to India, uh, times with gurus and teachers. And eventually that led to coming to live in Santa Rosa. Mm -hmm. What year was that? Well, I I met these folks. I I had gone to, in 75, I left Bloomington because during this whole thing, in 71... The, this all links back to the story of the time in Tuscany. The art students came back to Atlanta. One of the students sold Bob, my music partner there, a ticket. He went to Atlanta. I came back in December of that year, 1971, and 70, December of 70, and Bob had met a woman down in Atlanta and he said she was a great singer, songwriter. Come on down. Let's start a band. So I went, I followed him down to, you know, to Atlanta. Yeah. I met Peggy. We fell in love mm-hmm. and uh, performed all around Atlanta and different festivals and Baton Rouge and Montgomery, Alabama and stuff. You know, hippie, clueless hippie kids <laughs> making very little money. Peggy had a job in a dental office down there, <laughs> so it happened. <laughs> and, uh, but eventually we became kind of disenchanted with the music scene, hmm. the inability to make any money doing it. Mm-hmm. So we had wanted to go back to the land. We came back, we came back to Indiana, mm-hmm. and we lived in southern Indiana, and we played just for friends and family. I started working as a carpenter and a furniture builder, because I had had some experience doing that. And um, and this is the late 70s? This is like early 70s. Early 70s. Early okay. 70s, early, you know, 73, 74. Peggy, Peggy 
uh, I was not interested in getting back into music again in a big way. She was getting very excited about it. She got an offer to tour with a uh, disco group, and she we broke up. Mm-hmm. She left to go tour and follow her musical dream. And then I, I moved off of the farm. We had about a 100-acre farm at that time. Yeah, beautiful in southern Indiana. Mm. Gorgeous place. And uh, I moved off the farm back into town. I was writing a lot of songs. I performed at a thing called the Bloomington Songwriters uh, two times, two succeeding years. And then I decided I was going to uh, pursue music a little more. I went to this place called the Creative Music Studio, which was in Mount Tremper, New York, near Woodstock. And I had a good summer out there. I went out there with my girlfriend at the time. She went on to study yoga in Vermont. And while I was in the, at the Creative Music Studio, I met some people who were involved with this Indian teacher. And that started my involvement with this particular group. And that led me to Santa Rosa, ultimately. Okay, interesting. That's how I got to Santa Rosa in 78. 78, so yeah. you've been here a while. We're not talking about music so much, but... <laughs> well, it's all part of the story. Yeah, it's you know? all part of the story. It's all part of the story. So, so you're here in '78, and so yeah. um, let's kind of fast forward just for a sure. little bit. We can always go backwards and around forward. and about. And here's time is more. limited. <laughs> yeah. Time. So, um, so tell us a little bit about the festivals you've worked at. And as as an audio tech, are you working with the monitors on stage, or are you doing the audio for I have done, broadcasting? I have done or? that. I don't work. I don't do monitors on stage anymore because. Okay. Uh, I, the sound levels are too high. Mm-hmm. I won't subject myself to that anymore. And I, w- I won't even do front of house mixing for bands anymore, unless okay. it's like jazz. Yeah. So where you can maintain a level of about 85 decibels. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, um, there's pressure on you to turn things up. Mm-hmm. To, you know. And is this they pressure? always think that louder is more intense. Yeah, is is um is that pressure coming from the musicians or from the festival? It, it comes from producers and promoters and, and that kind of thing. So I've just learned over time just to just be the tech on stage and yeah. do things like that. Mm-hmm. Be the A two. The A two. Yeah, audio assist. Okay. So I'll I'll you know set mics on the stage. I'll set monitors and mm-hmm. things like that. I'll do that stage work. Yeah. I mean, I've done the front of house mixing stuff mm-hmm. enough, but the pressure to have have it all turned up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've good. heard that. I've heard that's a thing when you're working with the stage monitors a lot. A lot of times, the musicians, especially maybe the guitarists, well, uh-huh. <laughs> they're deaf because they can't. Many of these guys are deaf. Oh, yeah. Practicing okay. thought. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> they're. I remember like one time in particular I, when I was, uh, I, I was the uh, union steward for the Sonoma County Fair for 12 years. And one, one year, a sound, the sound company did not provide their own techs to do the front of house mix and the stage mix. Mm-hmm. So we had to step in, mm-hmm. the union guys. Okay. Now, we know how to do all that. But... The, the uh, county fair had, had an arrangement with the sound company prior to that that they would provide those techs. Mm-hmm. And our union crew would just do the, the stage work. Mm-hmm. And I was fine with that. You know, it was a bike ride 
commute for me. And working locally and, you know, you can relax and wear shorts and yeah. that yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, during that time, I remember uh, I took on the job of the monitor mixer. Mm-hmm. And the gear was not good. So the, the same guy that, that contracted to do the sound for the fair also provided bad equipment, poor equipment that, that had failure possibilities and it actually did fail a couple okay. times. But the first night we had Doug Kershaw, the Cajun fiddler, and his handler came up to me and he said, Doug is going to ask you to turn up his monitor. Don't do it. Oh, really? He said, he's going to come over, he's going to yell at you, he's going to curse at you to make his monitor louder, and I'm telling you now, don't do it. <laughs> so that was not a comfortable position to oh, be dear. in. You know, yeah, are you right. going to make the Between artist the angry artists, because yeah. you're not going to make it loud enough yeah. to overcome his deafness? Oh, so that was, uh, that was one... <laughs> Quick lesson. How did that go? Yeah. Did he did he come over? Did, yeah. And, yeah, he did. He did. And did you turn it up? Or? I did turn yeah. it up. I mean, yeah. I wasn't going to get yelled at by him. He kept looking dirt daggers at me from the center of the stage. Uh, so, do you have any other stories about working with <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with artists on stage or well, you know you the don't best have to name stories? Names. <laughs> I, I, I want to tell a happy story. Yeah. I mean, I've had some. I, I will say this that while I was working at the county fair. Consistently, the best sound we we had were these were the Nashville acts. Mm-hmm. Um, we had Rick Bartolini at the time was booking the talent for the count the county fair. He was also the guy who booked the talent for the Luther Burbank Center. Mm-hmm. Really had a lot of connections in the business, and he got very good people. He had Allison Krauss coming in. Mm, I love her, and she was like on her way up. You know, I, she maybe had not even won her first Grammy yet at that time. And Brad Paisley, Dirk Bentley, a lot of people who are like major big mm-hmm. names now mm-hmm. played the Sonoma County Fair. <laughs> and and their, their music always sounded really good. I was at that time probably operating this spotlight, mm-hmm. one of the spots on the spot towers. I could take my earplugs out and listen to the music and enjoy the music. It wasn't too loud. Yeah. And I was very sensitive at that time because I have tinnitus. From, and I think it goes back to having worked in my home studio when I was producing my first album, listening very intently to the music late at night with headphones on, playing, replaying, tweaking, playing, replaying, mm-hmm. tweaking, listening, tweaking. And I think it just, I probably uh, just overdid it with the sound levels. Wow. So I've been very careful since then. Mm-hmm. I, I go to an audiologist uh, I had been going every year and getting uh, checked. Mm-hmm. And after about after five successive years with no, there being no change in the levels, in my ability to hear certain frequencies and levels, she said, you know, you're doing well, skip a year, you know, come back in two years. So I've been protecting my hearing, which I really recommend it to yeah, people. Yeah. We all have limited capacity to be exposed to loud sounds. Uh, yeah, I'm really aware of that because of my father's hearing. <clears throat> and so I actually bought some um, earplugs, you know, I think they're called ear, eargasm or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I keep them on my little um, keychain so yeah. that when I'm out and about. Good. Oh, so there was a, a, a time recently where I actually needed them. I was sitting in the front row 
of a venue. Um, mm, front row is risky. Yes. And oh my God, it was a friend mm. that was performing and mm-hmm. the sound was, I mean, I literally could feel it piercing and hurting my eardrums. You didn't have your earplugs I put you? them in immediately uh-huh. because I mean, I, yeah. So I was so grateful to have them on my keychain. Of course, I, I, bring I always with feel me like, oh, it too. looks kind of weird to put in your, you know, and you're listening to somebody, but I just really needed to protect my ears. No, it's, I it's recommend. Yeah. Okay, skipping back in time, I, um, I was interested in music. I went to Sonoma State. I decided at that time to finish my degree, and uh, in vi- I wanted to do video production, video and film production, because I thought... Sound for film, sound for video was what I was interested in. So I went back to school at San Francisco State. Mm-hmm. Met some really great people there and had a good experience there. Graduated there in 1990 with my bachelor's degree, you know, made the dean's list and all that stuff. Cool. And uh, kind of after that, I struggled a little bit. I thought I might want to go down to L.A. and, and check out uh, an assistant director training program. I went down there and made it to the final cut, like the top 10% of candidates didn't make it past that point. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did have my, uh, my first album. Actually, I had, was working at that time on my second album, Unexpected Beauty. Mm-hmm. And um, I was interested in uh, Skywalker Ranch because yeah. I heard about it. I knew what they did. I would call them up. Because there was there was no you know checking online at that time, right? And letting our listeners know what that is is George Lu- George Lucas's yeah. own company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was at that time. It was uh, Lucas Arts, okay. Lucas Film, and uh, out in Marin County, and uh, an hour from here. Yeah, yeah an hour yeah. from here. So uh, I would check with him, call him up every couple of weeks. Anything? You got anything? One time I called up. We have something that might work for you. Uh, let it, we'll get back to you. I get a call back. I'm invited in for an interview. I meet the head of operations of, of Skywalker Sound mm-hmm. and, uh, and one of the top managers there and brought him my CD and told him what I did. And, and they told me the gig, which was archiving Joseph Campbell's audio oh, tapes. Whoa. Cool. Yeah, when Campbell died in 19, I think it was 85. Mm-hmm. I may be wrong on that date, but uh, you know that he, George Lucas was inspired by the hero with a thousand faces yeah. to to that. create the the myth around the Star Wars stories. So Campbell and George Lucas had a very close relationship. George knew Campbell's wife, and after Campbell died, she asked him to help. She had boxes and boxes of tapes, all different kinds of tapes. So they wanted to get them all digitized. Wow. So I got that job. Sweet. Wow. That and was pretty intense. How, so how many hours a day did you work? And it was a standard eight-hour day. Okay. And how many years did that take you? How many a, years? Well, I got, I, I got, I lasted an hour, uh, a year and a half in that job. Okay. After which point there was a change in the management mm-hmm. of the of uh, at Skywalker Sound, and the new manager came in. She was like a cost cutter, so she was cutting back here, cutting back there. So I got taken off the project, and they brought an intern in to finish it because mm-hmm. there was like about probably another 
three or four or five months of work to do. Okay, yeah. So at that point, I was kind of flailing again, trying to figure out what I was doing. Right, but that's pretty nice to to have on your resume. It was good to have on my resume. Mm -hmm. And while I was there, I met a lot of awesome, awesome people. Mm -hmm. Randy Tom, who's won multiple Academy Awards. Okay. And uh, Gary Rydstrom, also Academy Award winning sound designer and uh, sound mixer. So let, I'm trying to kind of keep the timeline here. So okay. this is in the 90s. <laughs> this and is in so the 90s. you were, you know, and I'm thinking about your level of perseverance and the exploration and the innovation and the, you know, um, that it's taking you to actually make a living mm-hmm. fi- to figure out what the heck you really want to do and find places to do it. Well, during and, the time you know, I was at Skywalker Ranch, so you, how I was offered you? Uh, to join Local 16. What is that? That's the IATSE, the International Alliance of Theatrical and Stage Employees. Okay. Local 16. Okay. It's the union, stagehands unions, union. Nice. And um, at that time, Local 16 had the contract for all the techs mm-hmm. at Skywalker Sound. So even though I was, uh, I was working under their contract and I was getting benefits and paying into their pension plan, I was still not a vested member. Mm-hmm. So I got in through the auxiliary program. I was offered full membership, which is a boon Mm -hmm. because most people have to go through the apprenticeship program, which takes years. And because I was working, it's called the auxiliary program. Mm -hmm. I was working at Skywalker. I got advice from people there. They said, oh, yeah, do this. Take take this. So were you like 40-something then? I was 41. 41. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I I got into the union and um, paid my dues and whatever. And uh, at that time, I didn't really know much about what Local 16 did. Mm -hmm. My job finished there. I went back down to L.A. to try to get into that assistant director training program again. I made it all the way to the top tier again and didn't get in. Then I came back to the Bay Area and... In the fall of 93, of 93 it was, or two, 93, or 94, I get a call from the union. Hello, Reed, this is so-and-so from Local 16. We see you're a member. Uh, we're in need of help. <laughs> we have a, Yay! you know, yeah. We need, do you know how to do this? Do you know how to do electrics? Well, electrics? Hmm. I don't know. Electric. What, what's involved? Ah, you just need a screwdriver and a crescent wrench and a knife. Oh, really? That doesn't sound like electric to me. He says, well, people will show you. They'll help you out. They'll show you what to do. So that was it. I, I, I went know, down to the passport show mm-hmm. at Fort Mason, and I started meeting all these characters mm-hmm. from, the, from the local and uh, learning how to tie knots and learning how to hook up different kinds of lighting instruments. And that yeah. was my first job was lighting instruments. And then eventually I moved into what I was more interested in was sound. Mm-hmm. But well, you know, the thing that I'm just loving about this story that you're telling us as, you know, this this uh, <laughs> kind of long roundabout way of telling us all this stuff, the thing that I'm so, you know, the thread that I'm hearing here does continue to be like your perseverance and your connection to your creativity and wanting to be around others that are doing the same thing. Yeah. And 
you know, the reason why I bring up the age and want to know about that is because I know that a lot of people struggle with, like, maybe they're 30 years old or they're 40 years old mm -hmm. or even 50 or whatever, mm -hmm. or in their 20s, and they're kind of concerned about their livelihood and their yeah. happiness. And especially people now I'm, you know, hearing in their 20s, they don't want to have the kinds of jobs and that their maybe their parents um, had and the level of unhappiness that... Uh, many people at mm -hmm. you know at that age are seeing that their parents are suffering with, and you know so I think it's really inspiring to hear this this way that you've kind of found to um, be involved in situations and the connections that keeps coming up for me. You say over and over again, "Oh yeah, I met these really cool people," mm -hmm. and your heart connections, yeah. and you know that I'm just kind of getting little. Tingles as I say that because I don't know that, well, that is a beautiful thing. The heart thing. connection has been important to me mm -hmm. all the way through. Yeah, I mean because that's kind of where I'm coming from in my life, and in your music. And maybe this is a I good hope so. segue to I bring so. up yeah. the two albums on Spotify because mm -hmm. as I was re-listening this morning to a couple of the songs from your 1986 album Poppies, yeah, and then the Unexpected Beauty 1989. And uh, I used to listen to that kind of music too, by the way, and play it in my yoga classes and dance around with headphones on, you know, Walkman <laughs> right. at the time. But <clears throat> um, what I noticed was um, that even though it's um, electronic music, which sometimes in my experience has not always included melody. Well, that's that a very large umbrella, electronic music. Yeah, that's There a good point. There are so many things that go under that umbrella. Okay. So many things. So, yes, excuse me, listener. <laughs> But let me just say that that the melody for me comes so is so strong the the sense of heart in your in those two albums um, is really strong, and for me melody is always what kind of connects me to my heart and um, I just love your sense of melody. So oh, thank you, mm -hmm. thank you. I mean, when I listen back to those albums, I'm more of I I wish I could redo parts of them. I mean, they're. They're kind of innocent and simple, mm -hmm. not as sophisticated as my ears are now. Mm -hmm. Probably so, everybody feels yeah, that way about their stuff. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. However, I do have a big file of letters that people wrote and radio stations wrote. and mm -hmm. So I know it touched people. And I know that children were conceived <laughs> to poppies. They were mm -hmm. born to poppies. Oh, people had therapeutic awesome. acid trips. To, with poppies and unexpected yeah. beauty, yeah. so it really does set a nice mood. Like that whole album, depending on where you are in there, there's like landscape, like moods going on. You really set a cool, almost visual experience with uh, the writing you did. Well, that's really what I was going for because uh, when I first started listening to that music, I would I would record music from the hearts of space, and I, then I would put it onto a cassette, and I'd put you know my headphones on and. And I'd go walk out late at night in Santa Rosa and, and just look at the, under the stars and mm. I'd listen to this beautiful space music. And I just remember the feeling it gave me. It was really a peaceful, nice feeling. I wanted to create a peaceful, nice feeling. Yeah. Some people want to stir people up, mm -hmm. shake people up. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. okay too. There's a place for that as well. Right. Different strokes are different folks mm -hmm. at different times. That's right. <laughs> we it's all for kind di of, different you know, times. A lot of times need something totally different one time than yeah another time, for sure. So I yeah I did those two albums and then 
I had written many songs during my folk years. Mm-hmm. When I was with Peggy, I was doing a lot of songwriting, and even before that, when I first, uh, on my way out to uh, Berkeley in the 60s, I wrote a few songs that I think still hold up. Mm-hmm. And I still want to record. Oh, neat. Great. So you know. you're doing a, currently doing a project with John Simon, who, by the way, will be our um, on our podcast next week. Oh, terrific. Yeah. yeah. Um, and <laughs> John, is, John has his own recording studio and is an amazing musician. He is an amazing oh, musician. Goodness. And person. And, um, a, and a great engineer. Yeah. Boy. Yeah, I was just listening. So you just released a single. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you want to tell us about that? The single was uh, a, a song I wrote for the camp I attended as a boy for six summers and then went back as a counselor one year. And the camp uh, celebrated its 90th season last uh, August. Mm-hmm. So there was a kind of a reunion get together of uh, a lot of the living alumni mm. of the camp to celebrate its 90 seasons wow. with only four sets of directors Okay. <laughs> in, those, in those 90 seasons. Neat. And, uh, I was inspired to compose a song for, to perform at uh, what they called the Good Time Get Together on one of the nights. And so I, I came up with a song, Oh, Nabagaman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I And I'm really pretty happy it. with how it came out. Yeah. And you've got the great harmonies in there, too, the nice background vocals. My daughter. Is that your daughter? Yeah. yeah she's singing on it. Sweet. Emma. Sweet. Yeah. And Emma's part of a group called Prism. P-R-X-Z-M. Okay. It's an electronic pop duo. Mm-hmm. They do some pretty cool stuff. Neat. We'll have to put a link there for nice. yeah. music. Yeah. She, she sings and, and writes the lyrics, and her partner Nick does all the music production. And they've, they've, they do a lot of touring, and, but you know she works her day job as a nanny mm-hmm. right now. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Great. Anyway, I worked with John, and uh, now we're working on a second song, which is a tribute to my Aunt Joyce, Mm -hmm. who passed away in 2016, and uh, we all loved her. Mm. And when we had a memorial for her in Portland last June, 2018 June, and um, was it 2018? No, 2017 June. And when we all were on our way up there, my cousin, my first cousin, Jill, asked me to uh, write a song. To perform at the you know at our, the dinner we were going to have, mm-hmm. people were going to speak, so I took that as a challenge, mm-hmm. and I wrote a song, and I like the song. It's really yeah. sweet, and boy, you know, you you take it to some really unexpected places, that, um, just harmonically, like these mm-hmm. little changes and shifts, and That's right. you know, I love that because there's nothing like there's a like surprise. four different key shifts in there. Yeah. And they're subtle. And they totally work. A musician oh. can hear it, but yeah. I think other people might not even hear it. They would hear it as an interesting, oh, mm-hmm. yeah. he went there with that. Yeah. Exactly. But they wouldn't know it was a, you know, a subtle key change. It's yeah. an interest peak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really. So I like the song. We're, we're still in the middle of uh, producing it right now. Mm-hmm. And we're going to add a, a vocal harmony, a female vocal harmony, mm-hmm. and uh, violin, and I'm hoping clarinet, if I can... Nail down a clarinet player. Oh, I have one for you. Excellent. Who is um, a session player too? Okay. Michael Fortunato. So uh, I'll give you the his number. <laughs> so anyway, I, we're doing that, and uh, then I have some old love songs, and 
actually, uh, on one of my union jobs years ago, I met Willie Nelson several oh, times. Cool. He used to appear on the show Nash Bridges with Don mm. Johnson. Yeah. He was a guest star a few times. And I was the, uh, on the second season, I was the uh, audio assist. Oh, neat. So I was the boom operator. I would mic people up. And I told Willie, I said, I, I have a, such a good song for you. And he said, oh, record it and send it to me. And well, I never did. Oh. I never did. I never recorded. I just didn't think he was serious. Or that it's it never would too ever... late. <laughs> no, it's not. Still, it's not too you late. You know, hello. <laughs> I did think it was a good song for Johnny Cash. Mm-hmm. But... Um, that, that is too late. That is too late. <laughs> anyway, I, I love the Ken Burns series. By oh, the way. I know. We've it's been watching so that good. too. The country music so one. Good. Mm-hmm. It's so wonderful. I mean, you know, Porter Wagner was he was an Indiana guy or Kentucky. But he was, you know, Midwestern Haywire ride with his show. Mm-hmm. Porter Wagner and Dolly Parton. Right. And so I saw that growing up. That's so cool. I was exposed to that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, wow. you know, that AM radio stuff and, yeah. Cool. If I can uh, randomly jump. Yes. Uh, you were talking about some gigs I did. Yeah. Um, I would say one of the most artistically satisfying jobs in, that I've had in my entire 27, 28 years working in Local 16. And I'm still work taking jobs through the union, even though I retired in 2017. Mm-hmm. I'm still taking some work. But... Uh, Quite a few years ago, probably maybe 10 years ago, I got called to the Hilton, or the Fairmont mm-hmm. in San Francisco. Uh, there's going to be a singer and a band, and uh, it's, it's a tribute to State Senator John Burton, and you're going to be the audio guy. So I get there in the afternoon, and I'm the only person from the union there. There's a few people from the uh, in-house AV company mm-hmm. who are bringing out equipment and stuff. And this was in the grand ballroom of the of the Fairmont. Mm-hmm. And who's the band? It's Keeley Smith. Oh, wow. Who most people nowadays don't even know who she is. I love her. I love she her. Had the, she had the number one hit of that old Black Magic. She had the jukebox hit of that old Black Magic in the 50s. Yeah, she's not that well known. I, you know, no, I she's mean, not that well known. Well, she, Keely, Louis unusual. Prima, she mm-hmm. partnered with Louis Prima, but then she quit the the business. Uh, she passed away actually, like think, either last year or the year before. Yeah, but, she's a jazz singer for people who don't know. Great jazz singer. Yeah, she is. There's stuff yeah. on YouTube that's just oh god, yeah. it's so fun to watch. So she was a personal friend of John Burton. He asked her to come up and perform, and Dick Bright who is this music impresario in San Francisco, a band leader, organizer, violinist, put together a terrific band. Piano, violin, guitar, bass, drums. And I was the only sound tech. So I set the whole thing up, and they went through the entire set, beginning to end, every song, to me, to an audience of one. Oh, my gosh. That's heaven. Was and, that I, heaven? and I was just sitting there just listening. Oh. oh, man. And, you know, they were very happy with the stage sound, but mm-hmm. they wanted to go through every song beginning to end. Sure. And uh, ironically, when that night came and the, all the people arrived mm-hmm. for the tribute dinner to John Burton, the audience didn't know who Keeley Smith was. They didn't care who Keeley Smith mm-hmm. was. They were just yakking and talking throughout her set. 
clinking their glasses, blah, blah, yeah. blah, not listening. Twice, John Burton got up and, and quieted the crowd. And they quieted for one song, and then the volume level went up again. So I realized that I had heard the whole concert the way it was meant to be heard. So that was a pretty cool story. That is a really cool story, and what a gift it was. I'm sure when somebody pays attention and is really listening, there's a certain quality of presence uh, that Mm -hmm. the performers feel, for sure. I think so. So they were lucky to have you sitting there, not only to do the sound, but to your beautiful heart and listening presence. (laughs) Thank you. Mm. That's a good story. That is a good story. And I've had many other, you know, fun encounters with musicians, artists, actors, talented people, politicians, you know, Gorbachev, Bill Clinton, oh my mm-hmm. Bar- you know, Barbara Boxer, a lot of, a lot of cool things. Yeah. So the, lo- the union has been a, a fun job for me. Wonderful. Yeah. Have you traveled much at all, or do you pretty much stay local? Uh, the, the, the union, uh, I have traveled twice, but not on union jobs. Mm-hmm. I, I was the, uh, I, I did the, the location recording on a, a travel channel documentary about food, organic food in Costa Rica, mm-hmm. which is available online on YouTube. It's called, um, oh, what's it called? <laughs> uh, Edible Adventure, Costa oh, Rica. Okay. Cool. It was a pilot to uh, to try to get a series done for this particular guy who hosted the show, who was kind of a goofy hippie guy who had his own has his own ecological center in Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. He's still going, by the way, and but he was a little too out there for for many of the critics who who saw the show. Yeah, they thought he was a little stony. <laughs> okay, which he was, uh-huh. but he was also really entertaining. Yes. But, you know, I could understand why they had objections. Right. However, we did make the one show, and which was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And, you know, going through jungles in Costa Rica with mud up to our calves yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. And I'm holding all this boom operator equipment and, <laughs> and recording equipment. And, and then I worked on a, 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 a show about desalination in the, the Canary Islands, mm-hmm. an industrial but that's those are the only things I've gone, you know, traveled for yeah. with the local. Mm-hmm. So you've been able to, you know, stay local and make a, a nice living and be involved yeah. a lot. Too of much time people. sitting in my car in one hundred and one, unfortunately. Yeah, okay. uh-huh. yeah, that's that sucked. Right. Although these days there's podcasts to listen to too. <laughs> there's great, yeah, there's great stuff to listen to, but man, it was all that time on the yeah. I don't even want yeah. to try to calculate how much time in my yeah. life I spent sitting on that road. Mm-hmm. However, I have a pension now. I'm grateful right. for oh, nice. you know through the union. Yeah. I don't you know I don't have the health coverage anymore, but mm-hmm. I'm getting Medicare now. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna die. <laughs> I still stay very young at heart, mm-hmm. and I keep yes. myself pretty fit. Yes. I try very hard to maintain the instrument. Mm-hmm. So yeah, great. And so any Mentally tips about, and physically. Yeah, any tips, tips about staying healthy? And Well, I've been almost uh, since 1971, I, I would say, been vegetarian. Mm-hmm. Um, 1985 or 84, I went to Hawaii for four months. And when I was in Hawaii, I saw people catching fish with lines, uh, just holding lines in their hands. And I thought, oh, okay, I could eat fish if it's caught like that. 
you know, one mm-hmm. line caught one at a yeah. time. So I started to branch out, eat a little fish that was ecologically, sustainably harvested. Mm-hmm. I still don't eat much fish. I've, I've actually cut back now that the oceans are so polluted and mm-hmm. so many problems. But yeah, I mean, I would say more of a plant-based diet mm-hmm. and exercise. Yeah, and what do you like to do meditation. for exercise? Mm. Yeah, meditation is really important. Yes. Uh, I, I swim, I ride my bike, and I hike. Nice. I don't run anymore. When my knees started to hurt, I stopped running. Mm-hmm. Um, and when my shoulders started to, this shoulder started to hurt a little bit, I stopped playing tennis. But it doesn't hurt when I swim, so I swim. I find swimming to be a very satisfying exercise. I love swimming too. I, I love can't. swimming. Unfortunately, I can't do it anymore. But You can't do it anymore? The chlorine. I, I was in the pool oh. for seven years, you know, an hour and a half a day. Oh, yeah. Oh. <clears throat> and I started to have oh, you're a serious, reactions. Big time to serious swimmer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's kind of how I, how I roll when mm-hmm. I exercise. But uh, let me tell you, it's had its negative effects. So now well, I'm... This summer, I, I've been swimming up at Lake El Sanjo. That's where oh, I swim. Oh, yeah. Nice. No chlorine there. No chlorine. And hopefully there's no uh, warming of the, of the lake there so that there's toxic algae that the... No, no, recently, no, did this, you hear Spring uh, Lake a dog right. died in the dog... Yeah, no, the, Lake Osage is still very nice. It and is, there's hardly beautiful. any people there. Yeah. And I, I, I've been, uh, I love Hawaii. I've been traveling in Hawaii. Uh, I went there twice this year already. And I went twice last year and once the year before. And I'm going to try to maintain that frequency of visiting. I feel very healthy there. Yeah. I love the swimming there. Yeah. Um, mm. So. I think uh, trying to eat well with a light footprint on the planet. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, as far as a footprint goes, vegetarian is a good way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of off topic. Actually, not really. The fact that like animal agriculture creates so much like waste. Yes, it does. It's got, a, it's got a very negative impact on the planet. Absolutely. As we know, I'm seeing what's going on in Brazil now the burning of those rainforests to create pasture land. Yeah. Anyway, did you, you have any other music? <laughs> we haven't really... Did you want to probably... say anything about meditation, about your meditation yeah. practice, or um, is it TM, or...? It, no, it's, uh, it's more of an eclectic approach. Mm-hmm. I, I listen to an uh, audio um, bed called Holosync, which it creates, uh, has these very low um, tones that are slightly out of phase, create a sympathetic vibration, and they're almost subharmonic so that you, you feel them vibrating in your throat chakra. Oh, neat. And your chest. you got to use good headphones. Yeah. And uh, that, I find, is extremely centering and helps me to just move out of my thought mm-hmm. zone, the thought realm. And I, I did a lot of meditation in my earlier years. Uh, I studied uh, the Paramahansa Yogananda mm-hmm. teachings, yes. Kriya Yoga, yes. in the early 70s with mm-hmm. my wife at the time. And I found, you know, it did a lot of Hatha Yoga. I can't do so much of that now because of my lower back. It's very sensitive. But um, I still do, you know, core strengthening routines, mm-hmm. and, which I find to be extremely helpful. And uh, my yoga, my meditation now is just turning stuff off and just sitting in quiet and trying to be aware of my thoughts, Mm -hmm. not latch onto them if my brain is going crazy. 
just let it be. Mm-hmm. Be more like the witness to it. Mm-hmm. And understand that these, I, I'm not those thoughts that are going back and forth, even if there's an inner argument, that's not, that isn't who I am. Mm-hmm. So, Beautiful. that's kind of where I'm coming from with all of that. Mm-hmm. And trying to, you know, do good for other people and, and help other people, mm-hmm. serve as best I can. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, there can, can always do more. There's always so much more to, yeah. to be done. It's a balance, isn't it? Yeah. Self-care and serving. Um, I mean, got to look out for myself and my daughter mm-hmm. as well. And mm-hmm. My ex-wife, I help her out quite a bit with uh, honeydews when she needs help. Oh, mm-hmm. that's sweet. Well, we're still a family, which is cool. Nice. So uh, even though I've moved on to other relationships, we, we're still, we still are a family. That's cool. So you can't take that away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some people don't acknowledge that in their own way in their own mm-hmm. relationships, but we feel very strongly about that. So Wonderful. Well, your daughter is lucky too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's a reflection of, of that, I think. Mm-hmm. So, Reed, is there anything else that you're wanting to um, talk about before well, we wrap up? Anything you're up to coming up? Any recent... Well, I'm going to hope to do more recording with John Simon mm-hmm. with some of my earlier songs, my folky stuff, yes. and see if I can uh, approach the more uh, and try to, to do them with, in less of a um, complicated production way. Just get in there, lay the guitar part down, sing it, and maybe add one or two instruments. Keep the budget down and, and get them recorded in a good manner. I've got old cassette recordings of a lot of these songs. Mm-hmm. But um, I, these are things I'd like to just have in a good form mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Maybe other people want to do them, maybe not. Maybe they want to listen to them someday, they can listen to them. Mm-hmm. Right now they can't, so I'll put them on Spotify. You know, mm-hmm. you, you pay the money. Yeah. But it's great. It's a great service to be able to present that Yes, to it is, yeah. And uh, if I can do some more kind of spacey music, I might get into doing some of that just for my own fun. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Cool. Speaking of that, I just wanted to mention, I don't know if you've heard, um, there's a composer named David Wise. Who yes. Does, yeah. Mm-hmm. Reminded me a lot of like the stuff I heard of yours, especially mm. on that first album. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought that was really interesting because cool. I kind of grew up hearing a lot of his stuff. So I immediately heard yours like, oh, yeah. I know the name. I can't think of anything particular that yeah, he did, but he's, I'm, he's, I'm sure I heard him on Hearts of Space. Right, probably, yeah. yeah. He's more of a... He's known for video game composing. Okay. Um, for, like, Donkey Kong games and a couple of things mm-hmm, mm-hmm. outside of that. But, yeah, his yeah. stuff is a little Wait, more... you know, if it's a gig... Exactly. Yeah. I'll take the money. Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. I mean, I did do... Uh, I, did, I did create soundtracks for video projects that people were doing and independent films and things like that. Yeah, and I really like some of those pieces that I produced. I could never uh, reproduce them now because all the equipment that I did them on is gone. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work together. But I have pretty decent recordings of them. So they're, they're like cool. spacey beds and with changing tempos and rhythms and, and to match a, what was going on on the screen at the time. But... Um, yeah, I love uh, I love all kinds of music. I would say listen to all kinds of music. Mm-hmm. Open your ears up to 
everything. You know, I love Brahms. I love Beethoven. And you know, I love early, early music. Mm -hmm. I listen to Occident Orient. Uh, this this uh, ensemble called Occident Orient. Can't think of the the leader right now, but uh, that's really cool stuff. Sort of medieval type of things. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I still in my record collection. I have Stockhausen and I have Janis Zanakis and, of course, John Cage. And I was lucky enough to meet John Cage once. Oh, really? Yeah. Where was that? Uh, somewhere in Palo Alto. I was down there for some meeting or something, and he was there. Just happens. I can't remember. He was there doing some kind of presentation. I was there for <laughs> some seminar or something, and, and I met him briefly. That's crazy. But. Yeah, I love Brian Eno. I love his stuff. Yeah, and I think he's doing too. really great things. Mm -hmm. And I love his approach, his mm -hmm. experimental approach. Yes. You know, I love hearing him interviewed when he talks about, you know, 20-foot-long mm -hmm. tape loops going through his studio and all these things, you know, to create a complete random sense of, of these loops that he creates. Well, I haven't heard he that. I have to look him up. And, and Brian to Eno. His, well, I mean, I know his music. You know his yeah, name. But I'm, uh, I used to play a couple of his albums regularly in my yoga classes. Uh -huh. There's still Apollo? one piece. Yes. Yes. And yeah, and there's yeah. one piece in particular that whenever it comes on, it just absolutely melts me to my core because mm -hmm. I used to play it in child's... It would come on when people were just getting into like child's pose. Um, at the end of a practice or something. And, um, cool. Yeah. Mm. Back in the 80s, oh my God. Yeah, back in the 80s. And there was another one, uh, Stomo Yamashita. He did an album called Aroha, I-R-O-H-A, that has some absolutely wonderful orchestral electronic stuff going on. And mm -hmm. I, his most recent stuff I can't relate to. It's a little more jarring. But uh, Aroha is just wonderful. Yeah. I have to check that one out, too. It's a good one. Well, gosh, Reed, this has been really wonderful having you here. It's, fun. it's been fun here. I don't know if we got that. We didn't get to all your questions. <laughs> well, <laughs> actually, we did. I only, yeah. like, read through them. I write them up and read uh -huh. through them myself before somebody gets here. And then, you know, things It's going to take its own direction. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we, we actually covered all the questions I had, believe cool. it or not. Yeah. yeah. Oh, We're out nice. examined, so it all worked out. <laughs> yeah. Right. That was the whole point. Well, Thank thanks you. for inviting me. It's been, it's been fun talking. It, mm. It's also just a good interaction and, and learning about, uh, you know, being able to reflect on my journey here. Yeah. Nice. I'm glad you feel that way. Yeah, no, it's great. I feel like great. The journey opens a lot of doors for me mentally, too. Thank to you. Cool. So thank you. Reed. Yeah, Appreciate you're welcome. It. Great. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for tuning in today. Again, um, be sure to subscribe if you like to hear more of this. Yeah, and like us um, on Facebook, Meaningful Musical Conversations. We're on Instagram as well. And when you, uh, we would love to hear you comment on anything that you're enjoying about what we're doing or even some constructive feedback about what you would like to hear more of yeah, or less of. <laughs> yeah, give us some more. <laughs> yeah. So uh, thank you so much. And we hope that you have some enjoyable, meaningful musical conversations yourself sometime. Have a great day, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.